This is Geek Punk. there and welcome to another episode of the planetary union network the orville fan podcast i'm dan taylor regular host with me as always joe quickle how are you joe hey dan how are you i am awesome we'll try to get michael may our other co-host on a little bit later we're having a little technical difficulties with him but someone we are not having technical difficulties with currently is mark jackson otherwise known as isaac from the orville Mr. Jackson, thank you for joining us tonight. Hello, big pleasure to be here. Thanks for getting me on. I believe you are the first crew member of the Orville, or the, at least the bridge that we've had on the podcast, right, Joe? Yeah, the first bridge crew. Yeah, I was just um, I was looking at the page, and I think you're right. I am I am wading in unknown territory here for the uh, the bridge crew, and proud proud to be bearing the flag for the Orville. All right, so you get you get to tell your side of the story before we have everybody else on. Ah, excellent! They're all uh, awful monsters, a lot of them. That's <laughs> what I hear. That's what that's the that's the dirt we want. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, first off, I gotta I gotta ask you this: How does a kid from the Netherlands in London's Old Vic Theater end up as an artificial, non-biological life form serving aboard a spaceship as a science engineering officer? Wow. Okay, so that's quite a big question. I suspect, <laughs> I suspect, there is no one answer to that um, because if you'd have told me, like a year and a half ago, that I would be here doing this, um, I'd have laughed in your face and uh, walked away. I imagine. Um, I think, I think, it's such a crazy thing to be doing anyway for anybody, any actor to be playing uh, an artificial life form in a new uh, comedy, drama, sci-fi series created by Seth MacFarlane in Los Angeles. Um, It's just a weird little fairy tale in itself anyway. So I guess, yeah, to be um, a Brit who grew up in Holland, as you said, um, and uh, who has done a lot of theatre, a lot of theatre, bits and bobs of TV and film, but um, mostly theatre, yeah, to find myself over here, I must admit, is uh, is quite strange. I'm still not quite used to it. <laughs> I sort yeah. of walk around uh, West Hollywood and kind of think, this is all a bit surreal, but wonderful. Did you walk around West Hollywood on Halloween night? Well, no, I intended to, but uh, I had to push my flight back. I was in uh, London at the time, so I had to push my flight back for various reasons. So I just missed it. Oh. Uh, yeah, I was gutted, really, because my friends all went and dressed as... You know, lots of ridiculous things. So uh, uh, I was hoping maybe to meet an Isaac in the crowd. <laughs> uh, well, you never know what kind of Isaac you would have met in that crowd. Probably somebody who would have fit uh, okay on last night's episode. Right, yes. They're all quite amorous around here, aren't they? Uh, um, yeah. An amorous Isaac. I mean, I, actually, after last night's episode, there's a lot of call on Twitter for some sort of Isaac love line, uh, love storyline. So uh, I guess watch this space. 
Um, have have you stumbled upon any uh, slash fiction written by fans yet concerning Isaac? Slash fiction? What's that? Is that like gore or something? No, that's where they pair you up romantically with another character from the show. Oh, well, that's much better than like uh, what I was thinking. I was thinking some sort of horror kind of saw-esque nightmare uh halloween style uh comic book or something uh no good well i'm very glad about that um no the uh i think it all began actually with the original star trek the classic um slash fiction this uh kirk and spock slash fiction back in the day wow someone wrote something where kirk and and spock got it on exactly uh you know the fans the fans imagination if they're not doing podcasts like us they're writing those slash uh erotica of their favorite characters Amazing. So, yeah, so we so we've got the podcast because we're not much of erotica writers. I think we've all tried it in the past. Right? Have you? Okay. Is that available? Can we find that somewhere, or is that? Uh... I'm afraid to uh, know what I've written. It's somewhere somewhere on the internet. Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I haven't written any, so that's all on Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe we're talking about writing porn so quickly. This is amazing. Yeah, we're unlike <laughs> any other podcast. So. <laughs> So let's, uh, at what point, what was the turning point on getting the role What that led up to getting the role and becoming Isaac on the Orville? Do you mean finding the character in that sort of actory way, or do you mean literally just getting the part? Uh, let's, let's start with getting the part and then we'll explore how, how, how you found the character. Uh, well, I was in London being a, a busybody kind of English actor in London, just, uh, auditioning and working and. And this, this audition came through for my agent, um, like we all do. My British agent, this is. Um, I had yet to actually get an American agent, like I do now. But um, yeah, I mean, it came through and I thought, I mean, I, you know, as an actor, there are auditions that come through and you think, oh, yeah, OK, I can do that. that that's great. Um, I can see myself doing that. That's brilliant. That will sort out uh, the next six months or whatever. And then there's auditions that come through and you think, well, I mean, that'd be nice, but uh really i'll go along and i'll just forget about it which is basically what this was i mean i, I thought because you know there's lots of stuff auditions for american projects do come through in the uk um more and more so now particularly with pilot season and, and all that and uh you know it's 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 all very glamorous to an english actor because you get to come out here and act in the sunshine and um you know around Hollywood which is fantastic but um, yeah I mean I, I didn't really think it would go anywhere so 24 hours later when um, I sort of woke up or LA woke up I suppose um, my agent rang and said uh, we'd had strong interest from Seth MacFarlane who'd seen the tapes uh, which was extraordinary um, that he'd just seen a tape of me I thought at the time um, so yeah and it, it sort of went on from there they wanted more information they sort of they checked my availability a couple of times uh, to see if i would come out to la to do screen tests um which obviously i jumped at and i said well yes great i mean if, if i'm not going to get a a job out of this at least i'll get a little holiday out to la to do a screen test um but twice they said no you don't have to you can stay where you are and um about six weeks later um we we got the offer through part um and I was, I've said this quite a lot now, but it is quite wonderful. I was getting on the plane to Barcelona for a vacation. So it couldn't have come at a better time, really. That's, um, I mean, that's great the way you worked out where you didn't have to 
fly back and forth and such, even though you didn't get a holiday out in L.A. Right. I mean, I'd have happily jumped on a plane, but um, but yeah, absolutely. But, it, you know, that was quite quite an interesting uh, time because, uh, you know, they check if I could come out to L.A. I'd say yes. And then they'd be like, oh, no, don't worry about it. And you think, ah, what does that mean? You know, um, and then for it to happen twice. We were we were on tenterhooks for a, for a good six weeks. I can tell you that. I bet. When you were going into playing the character of Isaac, um, did you have an idea of what like the whole costume would encompass? Uh, did you understand that you you wouldn't be seen, your facial expressions wouldn't be seen, um, and how did you approach you know acting under such that sort of armor uh yeah i did i did know what it was going to look like i knew what the deal was um i uh i met up with howard Berger, who's the makeup and, and uh sort of he's not a costume designer he's the, the sort of uh, all the prosthetics designer as well you know so he's created all these wonderful aliens um i met up with him in london and he showed me some early designs and uh, isaac actually didn't change much from those early designs at all. Um, so I already, I already knew what I was going to be um, getting into, so to speak, which was which was fantastic to have that so early on. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly a challenge. I've never played anything like this before. Um, like most actors, I've just been relying on my face for years, um, <laughs> uh, which has served me fairly well. Not always, but generally. Um, so yeah, um, I guess... I guess what it meant was that you had to be quite uh, specific with movements and decisions about what Isaac was wanting to tell the outside world with his body language. And yeah, so that was that was quite an interesting experiment for me, really. I mean, it's something that you should really apply to all parts you play as an actor. But um, with Isaac, it was a necessity. Otherwise, it would just look too human, I suspect. He's got an economy of movement because as an artificial life form, uh, why would you make a movement that is unnecessary, that is illogical, that is um, ineffective? So, you know, I I had to sort of think about those things. Yeah, it was a really fun challenge. What is it with British actors and robots? I mean, you're either Bond villains or robots. Well, I wouldn't know. I mean, Isaac obviously isn't a robot. He's an artificial. Right. So um, Isaac is alive, you know, whereas I'd say whoever you're talking about uh, perhaps might not be alive and just a bunch of circuitry. (laughs) Yeah, maybe it's just they like putting bags over our heads. I'm not sure. Now, you were talking about the movement and such in the episode that aired last week into the fold. Damn, if you were not displaying and, you know, projecting um, emotion, even though we couldn't see your face and even even the scenes where your movements were very limited, you still pulled off something amazing in that episode. Yes, thank you. Um, I I was very pleased with the way that episode came out, actually, Uh, came across, you know, there's something really old school about that episode. There's something about an artificial life form or slash alien and 
a child and that kind of relationship. You know, I think kids approach things in such an innocent way and in such an open-minded way that adults obviously forget, don't we, as we get older. So there was that, there's that sort of um, real brusqueness in the relationship between the kids and and Isaac, which I just think comes across so nicely. Um, but yeah, I think the mask, it is so expressionless, as you say, generally, but it's weird how we, I think we project um, as viewers the way we feel onto Isaac's, onto Isaac's face. And it's really effective. I mean, I, I, would, I didn't believe that it would generally work until I saw rushes, you know, on set when we were filming. And I saw playback of um, what we've been doing, and uh, you know, it was it was it was quite breathtaking to see Isaac come alive like that. Yeah, yeah. I I'm not sure if you're familiar with this movie, but there was a movie back in the early '70s called Silent Running with Silent Bruce Dern, and Silent Running. Right. No, I don't think I've heard of it. And he's in a, he's he's in space with three robots named Huey, Dewey, and Louie, and it's a very sad movie. And you feel these robots, these, I mean, they are robots, not, not artificial life forms or in the sense, but they are circuit type robots, but yeah. they, you feel for them in such a way. And I, I have not felt sad or moved by a slash robot or artificial intelligence, um, or non-organic life form, you know, since, you know, watching you last last week and in, in, into into the fold so yeah like i said before you you really nailed it and you've i don't know if this is something they're exploring with the character of isaac but there's definitely we're seeing the human come come either into him or or, or out of him if that makes sense i just i love the fact that you um that you felt that way that's amazing thank you um yeah i mean you know there's you've got to make him interesting haven't you i mean isaac I guess, I guess, I guess, an artificial life form that doesn't try and reach out and understand what's around him—it's um, part of his mission on the ship, anyway, um, to sort of be an ambassador for the Kalon and to observe the humans and the aliens that make up the Union and sort of report home. So yes, if 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 he if he didn't try to uh, assimilate in some way, I think. <laughs> he'd run the risk of being quite boring. Um, so it's, yeah, I think he is, he's certainly trying to understand people around him. Um, I wouldn't go too far, as far to say that he's trying to be like them. Um, is that something that's just happening naturally because he is a life form? Well, I think something that's very important to Isaac is communication, logic, um, and the ability, the ability to communicate successfully with humans and other aliens is, is certainly to understand them better. And obviously, we're very complicated creatures, aren't we, humans, as we <laughs> um, continually prove in, in, in the Orville. So I think his efforts to understand are quite endearing. I mean, his efforts to understand um, practical jokes in a previous episode um, uh, obviously, don't go too well, but it's quite interesting to see when things, when he doesn't get things, uh, when he doesn't understand human behaviour, even through trying, uh, 
why that's the case um, is quite interesting. You know, I mean, why, you know, uh, practical jokes, I guess, are quite complicated. I mean, they're quite evil in a way, really. The, 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 old, the whole idea of practical joke humour is quite sadistic. So it's quite understandable that um, Isaac would find that very illogical and hard to understand. So I think the way that Isaac um, responds to the humans and aliens around him um, it sort of goes part of the way to elucidate our complexities, if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, we've discussed on the show the way that um, Seth MacFarlane's, the way he's created the show and the, the humor in it really tends to lend itself to make this science fiction spawn or science fiction yarn more human more down to earth just because that's how people talk in the real world that's how people talk in real life they talk about their sodas at work or they talk about getting you know off work by five right. and that sort of thing um how's your take on that do you do you do you feel that in a, in a way um that it's much more grounded and down to earth than can say compared to other shows of its type yeah, I think so. Uh, well, um, I think it's. I think what you said about the humour um, making things all the more accessible and believable is absolutely right. I mean, I I'm a huge sci-fi fan, and I watch a lot of it, and I read a lot of it, and um, it's very because you know it's so wistful sci-fi often, and it's so oh you know you can it can go anywhere and do anything, and it's so ambitious it does tend to leave out the minutiae and the, uh, you know, the, the small linchpins of human existence. So I think it's very admirable that Seth is trying to do that with this show, and I think he does it very well. And it's clearly what's keeping people interested in the show, I think. You know, because there are a lot of shows out there that have great aliens, go on great adventures, and, uh, you know, go out into the stars and see what's there. And that's fantastic. But I think, you know, the Orville really does uh, keep it grounded and real uh, in the in the sense that it uses that humour. Then, you know, I think people identify with it. I mean, one, one of the things that Seth is so happy about, and uh, when he was, you know, beaming when he told me, is that um, apparently a lot of families are sitting down to watch the Orville together which is kind of a gold mining in terms of television, I think, that you can have a show that the whole family will want to watch, you know, from kids to grandparents and everything in between. I think that's um, it's a real testament to, to him actually, you know, getting something really spot on with this show. Uh, you've, uh, you've, you've wrapped up season one, correct? Yes. Now, it's been mentioned before how the Isaac suit has evolved to make you uh, a bit more comfortable during shooting. What was the suit like when you, let's say, shot the pilot? And now what sort of bells and whistles to make you more comfortable does does Isaac have now? Well, yeah, there was a big difference uh, between the pilot and the, uh, the rest of the season in terms of the suit. Yeah. I mean, for the pilot, um, I couldn't see that much. And I couldn't really hear, uh, and uh, I couldn't really breathe. So these were, <laughs> these were quite big issues, obviously. 
Um, and then for the, uh, the actual series, lots of work was done and uh, the helmet was, you know, really improved by Howard Berger. Thank God. I mean, I came back and uh, deeply relieved to see that I could breathe due to a lot of clever fans. And uh, I could also see much better because they, I don't know, they'd gone and raided NASA for this amazing material that can mean that I can see out that you can't see in. Yeah, I was going to ask that question, actually. Uh, yeah. Just because um, it, it definitely looks like you can't see out of that thing from uh, from the viewer's <sighs> perspective. I mean, it's not perfect. It's a little bit blurry. It's like if I wore glasses, I wasn't wearing glasses. I'd, I'd misplaced them somewhere. But um, but it's a damn sight better. And uh, possibly we'll have improvements for uh, season two. You never know. What is it that you want added? Added? Oh, I don't know, like a sound. Easier, easier to take a leak? <laughs> no, that's actually quite nicely catered for. They, uh, they sorted <laughs> that out from day one. There were a few moments where they wanted to change the costumes and, and uh, move certain uh, uh, apparatus that would mean that that would be less easy. <laughs> and I, uh, I did put my foot down, so that's fine. <laughs> so uh, I don't need help, if that's, if that's what you're, you're asking. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, uh, the helmet was also slightly increased in size uh, for the, the season to make it, uh, to, you know, just to make it more uh, bearable to watch, uh, to wear. But the, uh, the armor also increased in size, so it sort of happened uh, in ratio. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm, who knows what will happen when I get back for season two? Maybe he'll be gold or copper or <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure he's um, going to have sort of upgrades. Now, have you already started working on a script yourself to where Mark Jackson, the actor, can play a human character in an episode? <laughs> uh, what me writing a script? Yeah, yeah, why not? I mean, who 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 else is gonna who else is gonna write the script for you so you don't have to wear that that suit for one episode? <laughs> well, this is very interesting. I mean, a lot of people have been joking about it now. The writers have joked about it. The casting department has joked about it. Um, people on Twitter are constantly asking about it. Um, I have no idea. Who knows? Who knows what will happen? I mean, this is, uh, this is space sci-fi. Anything, literally anything could happen. We could, we could go into some sort of alternate uh, universe or dimension where all uh, synthetic life forms are human and all humans are sitting with synthetic life forms. So who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Okay, so... Cartridges, then write in... <laughs> I shall submit them to uh, to Fox. Yeah, so now we understand that you want to see everybody else in that costume, and you get the luxury of not having to wear one for an episode. Well, I'll tell you what. Yes, for them to walk <laughs> in my shoes, so to speak, for an episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually rather fun. I mean, it, it's not as bad as it looks. Um, and I've said this before, but the sound stages we, uh, we, we film on are absolutely freezing because of the air conditioning that's being pumped in. Uh, so I'm the one who's not having to wear a coat all the time. I, I get to walk around quite temperate. Um, I must say that the uh, the helmet comes off in an instant. It's all uh, held together by magnets, so I can just whip it off. Um, you know, and I have to doff my hat to people like Peter Macon, uh, who, you know, he wears full prosthetics for like 16 hours a day. Um, he comes in an hour and a half early to, to get it all put on, and then... At the very end of the day, when we all want to run out into the fresh air screaming and go for a drink, um, 
he actually has to sit in a trailer and get it taken off for half an hour. So, you know, he's he's the one who deserves the medal here. <laughs> we'll have to ask him about that. Any more practical jokes in Isaac's future? Uh, I think there probably should be, shouldn't there? They, they went down so well. Um, <laughs> the question is, who'd play them with him? I mean, I think everyone's going to be pretty wary of him now, aren't they? With his, uh, with his sort of meat cleaver sense of humor. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you'll have to just try it on newbies when they come to the ship. It could be like a sinister uh, initiation ritual for new members of crew, couldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, just cut their leg off or arm or hand. Uh, yeah, I guess I guess maybe he'll try and be a bit more inventive next time uh, than just body parts. But uh, you never know. Maybe he's uh, maybe he's found his niche. <laughs> Philosophical here has uh, Seth may very well already have this in mind and told you about it. But with Isaac being an artificial life form they don't just tend to sprout up out of nowhere. Is there some, have you given it some thought or is, as uh, McFarlane filled you in on the origin of say the Kalons? Um, there's definitely stuff around that is in scripts that are around. <laughs> um, but uh, I think, I think, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a backstory there. There is a lot of backstory, and it's very interesting, and it's not what you'd expect. So it's very exciting. Um, I think we're probably going to be getting a lot more of it in season two. And how, how was hearing that uh, announcement that just happened last week that uh, you, see, you, you got the green light for season two? Did you guys, you guys knew going into it that you were going to get it, right? Well, well no. No, not at all. Um, I mean, the show is unlike anything else on TV at the moment. I know there are comparisons you can make to certain shows that are on TV at the moment, but, um, you know, you, if you've got something a bit different and new, you don't know how it's going to land. Um, so, I mean, you just have to look at the, the initial reviews to, uh, to see that you could be a bit, you know, wary of uh, how it's going to be received. Obviously, it was great to see that the, the audiences loved it. Um, so when we heard that season two was going ahead, uh, yeah, really, really pleased. What a wonderful, uh, what a wonderful job, eh? Um, <laughs> but, uh, who knows? I mean, I hope they actually use me. I haven't heard that yet. All I know is going ahead. Maybe they'll be like, um, I don't know, Isaac's sexy sister's going to come and take the, uh, the, uh, the AI role on the, uh, on the ship. Who knows? I'll have to work on my uh, sexy sister voice. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, obviously, there you know the comparison, like the comparison to the uh, the Orville to say Star Trek and the iconic um, level that Star Trek has become. Has did anybody warn you? Um, perhaps like when uh, Jonathan Frakes was there, what life was going to be like for you? with the kind of fans like guys like us that put on a podcast tend to be with shows like this, were you prepared or is anyone preparing you for the, the, the conventions that you're going to have to do for the rest of your life? <laughs> I have got a couple, I've got a couple of friends who are in uh, doctor who 
um, which I'm sure is it's known out here, isn't it? You guys know Doctor. Oh Who. yeah, yeah. Um, so I've got a couple of friends who do um, the uh, the conventions and stuff, and they really loved it. So I've always enjoyed he- hearing their stories about about those and about the fans. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I I'm thrilled about that, um, and I've been a fan myself of sci-fi and these kind. I mean, I'd have watched this show definitely if I hadn't have been in it. Um, so, you know, I've always, I've always been aware of the world of sci-fi, uh, sci-fi and, and sci-fi fans, and I've always loved it. So I am, I'm, you know, thrilled to bits to be actually, uh, seeing it from this, this side of it as well. Um, I think it's really exciting. And I think, you know, sci-fi fans are perhaps the most passionate of all the fans. Um, we went to Comic-Con in San Diego, uh, this year to promote the show and it was such good fun um, it's just the scale of it it's really encouraging to see that much passion around uh, and uh, we you know we went down on the floor a couple of times and um, the people I met were just so fun and just had so much to uh, so much to ask they were so curious about the show and about the world that we were going to create um, so I guess no, I haven't been prepared for it, but I am definitely happy to embrace it. Well, uh, was that your first experience with Comic-Con? Yeah, it was. I'd always wanted to go, but that was my first experience. Yeah, I, I'm a veteran of it for a, a decade and a half or so. And now that you are on a hit show and you have garnished all these fans, if you thought Comic-Con was crazy last summer, just wait until you go next year. Right. <laughs> Yeah, we had this time this year, I guess. Um, yeah, you guys will probably, you guys may even get Hall H, the big hall. All right. I thought the hall we were in was big enough. Oh, I, that's uh, nothing. <laughs> I was expecting like like two, three hundred people kind of hall. When we when we when we walked out and it was like a thousand people, I think a thousand something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was a shock. That was a shock. Um, it was like being back on the West End. It was lovely. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm totally ready for the, the world that we're going to sort of, uh, have to move in with, with the Orville and, and the fans. I think it's wonderful. It's going to be, it's going to be really good fun. I just hope they, uh, they stick with us basically. Oh, I, I think we will. I, like I've told a couple of guests we've have here, I've already ordered my vanity plates for my car and they say Orville. Wow. Nobody else had that yet. So expect to see me driving on the lot next season you don't have to tell me what a vanity plate is what is that is that like on a your car a custom license plate custom like yeah okay yeah oh, right. and it says orville yep just it just says orville you don't have like yep. numbers in there that cleverly look like letters or anything like nope that. just orville wow <laughs> that's gonna be your wow that is amazing um, yep so and i'm in, and i'm close to la so i'm gonna be stocking the the lot with that with my car and just assume i can drive on because i've got those plates right come down try and get a photo with us all that'd be quite cool <laughs> you could sell the car then for like I don't know, tens of thousands maybe maybe it's worth that already i don't know <laughs> um, um yeah. yeah dan's practically made um everyone promise that we'll all get a set visit so <laughs> you should come down yeah totally we'll, we'll be there um pretty cool Anything else, Joe? 
Um, no, just uh, wanted to thank you again, Mark, for, for joining us. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for getting me on here. Uh, it's nice to be the first of the crew. Um, definitely make sure you get them all on. They're, uh, they're good talkers. That's what, I, that's what I think. I was there for the Paley Event Center. Oh, well, you know then. <laughs> event. Yeah, and it was great then. And um, yeah, we're looking forward. We're going to work down the, we're working down the line. And we do hope to have again a chance to talk to you again uh, next season. We'll see what's happening with Isaac in season two. Absolutely. I look forward to it. All right. Well, thank you again, Mark. We appreciate it. And um, I think that we'll have this uh, podcast will probably pop up over the weekend, definitely by Monday. Great. Send me a link and I'll tweet it. All right. Will do. Thank you again very much. Okay. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye. All yeah. right. Let's talk about the episode. Cupid's Dagger uh, was the latest episode. Um, what would you guys think, Michael? First of all, <laughs> karaoke night. Yeah, you nailed that one. I not only nailed karaoke night, but I got really close to nailing uh, Bordas's song. Because um, I don't know if you remember, but I predicted Power of Love, which is another Celine Dion song. So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna call that a half win. Oh, I, I, when you said Power of Love, I thought you were talking about the Huey Lewis song. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's not funny. <laughs> uh, I, I would have gone for that yeah yeah um, so yeah we did get the karaoke episode or sort of the karaoke episode and i right i mean it's, I, I i i got blue balled on that i was really excited for that to happen and then <laughs> yeah i was waiting for him to sing but uh i think they're teasing us yeah yeah and if i they'll if, have another one they'll have another if, one I really, if I already wasn't crushing hard on Kelly, I am now after singing her singing Journey. She was great. Yeah. I mean, it was an adorable way to start an episode. Yeah. I don't think, because was it David who was talking about all the different people who can sing, all the different actors? And he was talking about Seth and, um, and, and he Scott. mentioned, what's that? Yeah, Scott. And he mentioned Peter as well. But I don't think he mentioned uh, Adrian. But um, she could. Put it out. So, yeah, we had a, a, a reoccurring character from the very first episode. Uh, perhaps the uh, moment that started it all. Right. Um, I can't even attempt to pronounce the character's name. Gerulio. <laughs> and he was a Retepsian. Yeah, Retepsian. And and that's right. that's really the the moral of the story that it seems is definitely don't get within arm's reach of a retepsian during mating season, right? Now the episode was a lot of fun, um, but and you know I'm going to go ahead and address this. Not maybe not the best week for that episode to come out. <laughs> yeah, with the current news cycle, what's going on? Um, I mean, you can't, you can't, you know, anticipate what current events will be like, but, you know, I would, I was knowing what I knew about the episode before I watched it, I was a little worried about how they, they were going to pull it off and it's fine. It wasn't as, wasn't as cringing as I cringeworthy as I was thinking it was going to be. I enjoyed the episode very much. Um, but right now, that whole with the the 
the mood that everybody is in, the events in this episode can be taken the not in quite the right way that they were intended or in a darker light. You guys agree? Yeah, I can agree with that. It's um it it was gonna it's gonna polarize, and I think it already has in some aspects, but it's uh, there's a lot of sensitivity right now, and there should be sensitivity with what's going on. But all right, maybe I'm just totally in the dark, but you're gonna have to spell this out for me. Just with the, just with the, uh, let me just with the Weinstein and Spacey type stuff occurring. All right, so there's sexual misconduct and all of that. Exactly, and as interesting and as hilarious as it may have been in the episode his um natural pheromones that created those situations didn't actually make it consensual right does that make sense yeah yeah i'm with you now all right yeah and he didn't really do much to explain that until very you know cornered yeah, well, and then even they took a step further in the climax, and even uh, um, no pun intended, um, and and intentionally use it on the two aliens, you know, the two alien leaders. Which right, that's that's pretty questionable morally. <laughs> and unfortunately, you know, it that may have the episode may have played off just fine a year or two ago. And I don't think this episode, by all means, it's it's not a, a black eye or a bad mark on the episode. It's 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 a fine episode, but there are going to be people who don't next necessarily agree with the episode. In fact, some of our listeners have already contacted me with their views, and I will probably be posting some of them on the um, Orville Observer site because you know I just feel you know it's not not our position to say what views of the Orville shouldn't or shouldn't be right, know, well, expressed by fans. It's certainly a conversation worth having as well. Right. It, you know, people's thoughts and feelings about it are valid. And um, I think it's worth talking about. But that being said, how funny and almost adorable was it to see how head over heels in love Mercer was? <laughs> <laughs> That was hilarious. Um, I think I think this is Seth MacFarlane's best episode as uh, as an actor and playing the character of Captain Ed Mercer. Yeah. Well, and it it really makes sense that they got Rob Lowe to play Derulio. Um, you know, this episode, like in in the pilot, like I I didn't even recognize him. I didn't know it was Rob Lowe under. I'm not that. even sure it was him. It was. You sure? Yeah, I'm sure. Pull up the picture where there's a uh, still right before his uh, head jizz or whatever we want to call it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but, so, I mean, it was almost kind of this uh, cute little bit of stunt casting and, it, you know, almost kind of wasted. But you, this is the payoff for that. It's like um, like my son is going to love watching this episode because he's a, a big Parks and Recreation fan. And he was in full-on Chris Traeger mode. Uh, just totally charming, totally fun. Um, and, and you can see why pheromone or not, why people like him. And, and yeah, you know, I mean, we, us growing up in the eighties, Rob Lowe was a 
you know, huge, huge uh, sex symbol, yeah. or heartthrob. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, he's only he's gotten he, he certainly hasn't hasn't decreased with age. Like he's no. still a really charming, you know, handsome dude. And yeah, listen uh, to Michael get all Ed Mercer over, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, he was but, um he was hanging around here uh for um a week or two uh over the summer during uh they're doing some of the uh renovations on the outsiders house um in Tulsa and uh so he was there um so Danny Boy O'Connor uh part of House of Pain uh he's got a group of guys that bought the outsider's house and they're turning it in, they're renovating it and turning it into a museum. And so a lot of the cast of the outsiders has come through. Cool. Ah, another, they're making a museum on just on the outsiders. Yeah. Just for the, okay. I mean, so it was a great movie, but Michael will save that for his outsiders podcast. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know, um, so back to like, in that first episode, it was kind of a joke that she was in bed with this horrible looking blue guy with really embarrassing, uh, you know, bodily function at an appropriate moment. <laughs> but the, you know, this, this episode sold like, you know, why you know, she might would have had a relationship with that guy. So, um, fair again, pheromones or not. And I don't, what'd you guys think of the, uh, the kind of tease at the end? Like he didn't really confirm that he was in heat a year ago, but, uh, kind of hinted that he might've been, um, does that satisfy you guys or do you want closure one way or the other? I, it satisfied me. Um, if it's something we're going to continue to explore, cause I mean, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm ready to strap in and have a, long-lasting Sam and Diane, Ross and Rachel, will they, won't they type of relationship Yeah, on the show. I don't need to see them make amends and become a couple, you know, Kelly and Ed, anytime soon. I don't mind being teased that it may be coming back. Because, I mean, at the very opening of the scene, he, Ed Mercer was looking at her while she was doing karaoke. You know, it was adorable. Mm-hmm. And so... I'm game for this whole will they or won't they thing to last. I mean, it could last for a number of seasons. I'm okay with that. So I think just that little hint of what was at the end of this episode is maybe it wasn't, she wasn't under complete control. You know, maybe it was the pheromones, his pheromones acting on it. I just think that, that lightens up the situation enough to make make me enjoy it a little more. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think I like it too because it, you know, it's just enough doubt in his mind to kind of it's just it's sort of a step towards forgiveness um, for him. And uh, like I, I, I'm with you. Like I, I'm settled in for a, a, a long, you know, kind of a period of, of them not being back together again. Um, and I'd love to see, like, I like the, the chemistry already between them as they're just learning how to become friends again. And uh, so I'm fully on board for many seasons of that. And, you know, maybe by the, the you know, series finale, they declare their love for each other or something again. But uh, um, I don't need it happen right away either. 
What say you, Joe? I say I feel bad for Yafit this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I feel bad for him in that it was because of the the you know, the the pheromone. But then, you know, you, you almost don't feel bad for him because he still got <laughs> kind of what he wanted out of the deal. But in, not in a – because, you know, he clearly is in love with the doctor. Right, right. Yeah, that that that. Do we see a, a scene of them kind of after she came to her senses? No, no. Like, so, okay, so that'll be interesting to see, um, how he deals with that going forward. I don't know yes, if we will. But... I mean, it, you know, I don't. I don't know how big a character Yafet actually is. Well, and, he's uh, apparently a lieutenant. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. Like in the context of the show. I mean, he's, he hasn't, he hasn't yeah, been true. on every episode, right? So, um, yeah, I just don't know if, if we're meant to... Is he kind of a joke character, or are we supposed to kind of start to take him a little bit seriously? Well, Joe apparently already has. Well, I'm taking <laughs> him seriously? Yeah. <laughs> I like Norm MacDonald, all right? You can stick around. <laughs> <laughs> and this was another episode where... Um, Alara takes command. Yep. Yeah. I was proud of her. I mean, she's getting, she's getting her, uh, you know, her act together. Um, and also we're seeing, uh, again, a more of the family life. We saw Claire's kids again, mm-hmm. on the bridge. Uh, we saw, um, Bordis isn't having the, best of time with his mate Clyden currently yeah we saw that teased in a previous episode I thought they were going to do more with that this one because since the episode was going to focus a lot on this yeah, baggage I... between between Ed and Kelly and we talked before about how like what what uh, Clyden and Bordis are going through is, is kind of similar to what Ed and Kelly went through back in their marriage yeah I was Going in or watching the episode and seeing how things are starting to happen, I just thought it was going to be a, you know, a sex-filled orgy on the whole ship <laughs> with everybody. And I thought, especially you know, when then we heard that Bordis was having a rough time, they hadn't had their special moments since the baby was born. I thought, okay, well, obviously this is going to enable them to have that special moment, but that didn't come up, so. It could, you know, steer it in a different direction for me. So there was no orgy that I apparently wanted. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe next week, Dan. And then uh, we saw Ralph Garman was the karaoke DJ. Yep. Yep. He was good. He was funny. And uh, it was great to see Victor Garber back. I always like that guy. Right, right. Yeah, we um, need to get him on sometime, too. Oh, dude. I'll lose my mind. <laughs> I've been a big fan of his since Alias. Um, who was the guy in the elevator? His character's name was Dan, so I'm just going to go ahead and assume <laughs> it was named after me. <laughs> I uh, I think that's fair. That was a fun. That was a funny bit. I liked how it played out in three different episodes or three different um, scenes. You know what yeah. was it like? Does all you do ride the elevator? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was great. Uh, but that was a can't, I can't remember the actor's name offhand. Um, 
Give me one second. You Mike can... Henry. Okay, he's a regular. He's a he's a he's part of McFarland's uh, stable. He's I think sure. he's one of the co-creators of the Cleveland Show. Okay. And let's see. I think we covered the karaoke. Anything else? What, what am I missing from the episode, guys? I don't think. Uh, I think we've got everything out of the episode. Yeah, the getting all dark and heavy kind of uh, serious kind of uh, threw us off. We usually don't get that way. Not we're usually more on the uh, dick and fart jokes type of thing. <laughs> yeah, you're right though. It is. Uh, it, it's interesting timing. You know, not anybody. Is responsible or can be blamed for it. It's just, uh, just, just weird. So we actually have some news, Orville news outside of the television show. We do. Uh, have you guys pre-ordered your World of the Orville yet from Amazon? I'm gonna lie and say I have. Of course, <laughs> I have. <laughs> I'm, I, um, I'm going to, unless for some reason we end up with copies of it from the publisher, but. I'll probably still buy one anyway. Yeah, the World of Orville is a new book coming out, and they uh, Seth uh, tweeted about it last week, and it's coming out from Titan Books, or a UK publisher, and it will be. It promises to be filled with alien species, exotic worlds, futuristic technology, and awe-inspiring spaceships, and a lavish companion to the Orville TV show that will take us through. Uh, take us behind the scenes through conceptual art, onset photos, technical schematics, which I'm sure a lot of people are dying to get their hands on a lot of cosplayers and such. Um, and explore the show's production design, costumes, makeup, prosthetics, visual effects. So it promises to be the ultimate guide for this, uh, as they say, new spacefaring epic adventure. This is the kind of books that I love. I love, uh, and they've done good stuff before Titan. I've got their Firefly books. And so this will be our, you know, Bible, I think. Well, you know, we'll each have one uh, during podcast and it'll be dog-eared by the end of our season two of our podcast as okay. we flip through pages, you know, pointing out stuff and picking things up. And hopefully they'll, just for me, it'll include... Um, a guide on how to actually say everyone's name since I butchered them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take mine on the set visit to see if I can make it a collection of autographs. Nice. So that is out. Or you can order it now from Amazon. Um, and the book is due out in January. So uh, put it on your holiday list. and You'll have to wait a couple of weeks. You won't be able to unwrap it on Christmas morning, but what the hell? Yeah. What else we got? All right, so uh, the next episode uh, is called Firestorm, airing on November 16th. And it is, um, Alara questions whether she's fit for her job when a fire breaks out on the Orville and a crew member dies. And it looks like we've got a guest star in this one. A big guest star. Fairly big guest star. Robert Picardo, who is probably best known to listeners of the show as the hologram doctor from Star Trek Voyager. Um, to me, he's best known as the cowboy from the movie Inner Space. Uh, I love that movie. Yeah. <laughs> Remember that, Michael? Um, 
man, that's that the Dennis Quaid, Martin Short. Martin Short, yeah. Yeah, well, I haven't seen that in decades. Um, so, yeah, so he, this will be another Star Trek connection for the Orville. Um, so that has fans excited. And whenever it's an Alara episode, I'm, I'm all for that because she's definitely becoming, it's hard to say one of my favorite characters because, you know, I love everybody. Right now, though, of course, Isaac, Mark Jackson is my favorite. And we'll, you know, and that'll stand until we get somebody else from the show on. <laughs> Speaking of someone else from the show on, uh, next week we've got Larry Joe Campbell, our chief engineer. Chief engineer Steve Newton. He is my favorite. Larry Joe Campbell is my favorite. I loved his work, and according to Jim, as brother Andy, he's really funny on the show. And uh, I know I'm digging his character as well on uh, on the Orville. Uh, I hope uh, I would like to see more of the chief engineer, but we've already got a busy, a busy crew, a busy cast. Um, but I do like the character Steve Newton. He likes he likes his power drills and he likes his Barry Manilow. <laughs> right. <laughs> What else we got? Uh, this time I'm going to switch it up and have Michael do the Twitter and Facebook pitch. Let's see if he knows them. Oh, man. Is that in the notes? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll save Michael here. Uh, we are on Twitter at planetary underscore union. Um, and we take a pretty active part on Twitter uh, with our feed, uh, talking to other uh, Orville fans. And that's also where you can get most of the news about their episodes, who we haven't on, um, who we've had on, who we want on, etc. You can also, if you're on Facebook, you can like the Planetary Union Network um, Facebook page. And it uh, both the Planetary Union Network and um, Twitter account and the Facebook page uh, often have links to other Orville news, such as, you know, how it's doing in the ratings and things that the actors are up to, and etc. And uh, the official, I guess, webpage for the Planetary Union Network is, well, there's planetaryunion.net where you can find all the links to the various uh, podcast platforms to hear this uh, podcast on. Or you can also check out orvilleobserver.com where we have views and news by uh, uh, presented by other Orville fans and us as well. I just confused the hell out of everybody with that, didn't I? Yeah. Michael would have done a better job. I might have to overdub you. <laughs> if we can get that written down somewhere, I'll be glad to take my turn. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I in, in, the, uh, in the show notes for a while I was. I had that all in there. And yeah. since I've been rattling it off, lately you've got it memorized yeah i've got it memorized all right well i think that uh we have went near our our allotment so something 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 yes we wasted waiting for michael to figure out (laughs) yeah sorry (laughs) all right so something something doggy hugging arborists (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to keep doing that, that should be our official new sign off something something doggy <laughs> <hunky>. <laughs> nope <laughs> remember I 
I got the final edit. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm not. I'm not giving away the. I'm not giving away the password to, so you can upload it direct. <laughs> right now, I'm imagining um, what's going to happen whenever I f start editing this, and uh, we have the Orville theme playing us off like uh, like the Oscar awards. Like you guys are going way too fucking long. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, so, yeah, get your uh, Larry Joe Campbell questions ready. That's good. They all can't be about according to Jim, Michael. <laughs> all right, guys. Talk to you later. All right. All right. Good night. All right.